You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Looking at the theme of reversal, uh, true story, we asked some of our teenagers if they knew what that device was. They did not. <laughs> That'll locate you right there today. Anyway, if you wouldn't mind standing with me one more time to honor the reading of God's word today, it's going to be from Luke chapter 10 and 11. I'll be your reader. Here we go. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. <laughs> the door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. And I tell you, even though he will not give, get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. That's the reading of God's word as people said. Amen, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. I don't know if you've ever been around someone who's really, really good at something like expert level good. Like maybe you've been up close to, had the privilege of being next to, say, a professional athlete. And if you do and if you have, then you know that being around them versus someone who's just a high school level athlete, there's just something different. Something different. Uh, and this is a true story. Once upon a time in college, I faced the number one pick overall in the Major League Baseball draft that year. He ended up playing for a number of years in the big leagues. And he threw a fastball so fast, it didn't light up just two numbers. On the radar gun, it lit up three. And this is true. I remember standing in the batter's box about to face him, face him and I prayed, Lord, please don't let him hit me. <laughs> because 100 miles an hour is just different. Yeah, different. And maybe you've been up close to, say, a great musician and heard them play or heard someone sing that way. And when you do, you know, you just feel there's something different. Uh, maybe you've read a great writer or you've watched a great dancer or you listen to a great speaker or you eat a great meal or you experience a great moment with a counselor. And at some point, you know, there's just something different that happens when you're in the presence of someone who's truly great at something. And if you can get over your insecurity in that moment, I think it makes you want to ask this. It presses you to request this. 
show me how you did that. Show me how you did that. I want to know how you did that because there's something that I felt in what I just saw. There's something in what I just heard or what I just experienced that makes me want to be inside that moment. Experience it for myself and bring me into that world again. Because when someone does something great, it makes you want to say, show me how you did that. Now, Luke chapter 11, these first followers of Jesus, his disciples, as God-fearing Jews, they would have grown up doing something. They would have certainly have grown up praying. They would have prayed lots of times. They would have grown up praying the Psalms. They would have grown up playing, praying the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. They would have prayed in the synagogue, but when they heard Jesus of Nazareth pray, they heard something different different. They heard true prayer. And so when one of these disciples, first followers of Jesus, when they heard him pray, he said, oh Lord, teach us, didasco us, impart to us something, show us how you do that. Because when you do that, it's different than when we do that. We want to know how you do that. Lord, teach us to pray. And so in light of that, I want to tell you something today. You should know that as much as Jesus Christ came to teach you about anything, as much as he came to teach you how to love other people, to serve other people, to, to, to wrestle for things like mercy and justice in the world, as much as he taught about any other subject, Jesus Christ came to teach you to pray, to pray. And here's why. While prayer is no substitute for action, action is no substitute for prayer. Jesus of Nazareth did both, and so should we. So would you say with me, hear what the disciples said, I'll say it with you out loud, say, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Because what does true prayer do? We're gonna try to find this today. Three things that true prayer does. First of all, prayer undoes something I think we need undone right now. We're gonna see what that is. Number two, prayer reshapes something in ourselves. And finally, prayer unleashes something out in the world. It undoes something, reshapes something, unleashes something, all from Luke 10 and 11. Here we go. Number one, prayer undoes something. What is that? Let's try to find it. Okay, the writer here, Luke, he introduces us to this section of his gospel that's on prayer. Fascinatingly, not with a teaching, but with an example, with a story, with a case study of actually what happens when people don't pray. And this story on prayer takes place at the house of Jesus's friend, a woman named Martha. And by the way, don't you just love this scene? I mean, can you see it? Jesus, here in his free time, he's hanging out with his single friends. Martha, Lazarus, Mary, this group of siblings, he's kicking with them at Martha's house. And while he's at Martha's house, we're told that Martha had a sister named Mary. It says she sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Now to sit at someone's feet and listen to what they say, that's actually a technical term to describe a formal rabbi-disciple relationship. And that's what's happening here. And Luke is presenting Mary as a formal disciple of Jesus, not one of the 12, but a disciple nonetheless. And by the way, this is only one of a number of examples where Luke in particular elevates women in his gospel based on the words and actions of Jesus. So basically, if you can get the scene here, Mary comes out of the kitchen 
to assume a formal role as a student of Jesus. And you'll notice what Jesus does here, or rather what he doesn't do. He doesn't refuse it, nor does he tell her to go get back in the kitchen where she belongs. But Martha, of course, famously does kind of the opposite. She hops around the kitchen she bakes the cakes, you know, she boils the water, makes the soups, all of that. And she's not, though, in the kitchen because there's something wrong with being in the kitchen, per se. But Martha's in the kitchen at this moment because there's something wrong with her. What is it? Well, if you've grown up over the years in church and you've heard this story, you know, you know Martha's kind of gotten a bad rap over the years. And so there's been this kind of a push uh, to rehabilitate her image, recast her in a more positive light. And of course, Martha is wonderful. After all, she's the one who opened her home to Jesus. It wasn't anybody else, right? I mean, it wasn't her brother, it wasn't her sister. And she's a first century homeowner in a patriarchal culture as a female. I mean, come on. Apparently she's like the CEO. She's like the Joanna Gaines fixer upper type. She's sewing the duvets and making the candles and selling the calendars and having her own TV show. And she took care of the family and owned the house. But at this moment here, Martha is not doing well. And that's actually the point of the story. And to pretend otherwise does us no good. Because surely Martha can be great at one point and struggle at another, just like all of us. So why is she, though, why is she failing here? Well, it says this about her. It says Mary, Martha was perispio. Perispio, that is. She was distracted. She was over-occupied. She was over-functioning. She's too busy serving. The word is diaconate, where we get our word deacon. She's too busy serving Jesus to actually be a person with Jesus. And look at what she says when she does come to talk to Jesus. Kind of like, look what her prayer, what her prayer is filled with. This is Lord Look at all the me's and my's in here. Don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Anybody prayed this on Thanksgiving, right? (laughs) Tell her to help me. So Martha here, she's kind of rolling as passive aggressive. She's blaming the people around her. She's feeling morally superior to her sister, she accuses Jesus of not even caring about her. Then she gets demanding with the Son of God. Tell her to help me. And I think at this moment, Jesus could have been like, mm, okay. <laughs> Let's get it straight. I know the sign on your desk in your C-suite says, boss lady, right? Just remember who you're talking to. And slow your roll a little bit, Martha. Stuart. <laughs> I mean, it's ironic, isn't it? I mean, the more distracted Martha gets, the less Martha prays. And the less Martha prays, the angrier Martha gets. The more demanding of Jesus Martha gets. I mean, think of He's right there in front of her. The source of peace. The source of life and hope. And she doesn't even recognize him for who he fully and truly is. And her heart begins to fail. Some, you may know the name Flannery O'Connor. Uh, she was famous for her short stories, uh, famously critiquing racism and hypocrisy in the 20th century. And she wrote a story, next to last one she ever wrote, mind you, called Parker's Back. Parker's Back. And it's all about a man named Parker and his wife, Sarah Ruth. 
And Parker was a heavily tattooed former Navy sailor who cursed like a sailor as well. And he leaves the Navy to farm his land and to give away food away for free to the poor in his community. So Parker, the unconverted here, tattooed sailor, he falls in love with this morally rigid and exceptionally virtuous and chaste woman named Sarah Ruth, and he convinces her to marry him. But it's not a happy marriage. It goes bad. They bicker and they fight and they fight and they bicker. And Sarah Ruth's moral superiority grinds away at Parker. Matter of fact, she's so holy, she won't go to church. She says, it's because of all the hypocrites. She won't go. And one day, finally, in the hope that this will heal his marriage, Parker decides he's really going to give his life to Jesus. And to commemorate it, he gets this giant, full-color, Byzantine-era picture of Jesus. You saw it in the photo there. Picture of Jesus, tattoo of Christ, on the only place he's never been tattooed, his back. And he thinks that if he does this, if he embraces Christ in the most public way he can think of, Sarah Ruth will finally accept him for who he is. So he gets a tattoo, and on the way home, he stops by the, the pool hall to see his friends. His friends discover this tattoo of Christ. They sort of shame him for publicly sharing his faith. Now they kick him out. He goes home to show Sarah Ruth what he's done. But at first, she won't let him in the door because she, she knows he's been at the pool hall. But she finally lets him in when he speaks his full name, a name of which she's previously been ashamed. His full name is Obadiah. Elihu Parker. See, Obadiah was the Hebrew prophet who, like Parker, famously shared his wealth to feed the poor in the land. And Obadiah's name means servant of God. So when the servant of God comes into the very busy, very holy Sarah Ruth's house, when the image of God, in a way, stands before her, humbly appealing for her to receive him for who he is, she won't stand it. She can't stand it. She flies into a rage. She accuses him of idolatry. And the story ends, her kicking him out with Obadiah Parker, the servant of God, bearing the image of God, the son of God on his skin, out weeping, suffering on a tree while she stays inside, leaning on her broom. Of course, it's the classic Flannery O'Connor ending. But when Jesus, in other words, when he sort of came into the house, Parker chose what was better? Sarah Ruth couldn't see it when it was standing right in front of her. But Jesus, Luke 11, said to Martha, Martha, Martha. See, to double a name in the Semitic language means to, to, to communicate the deepest level of emotion. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, I love you so much. You're worried. You're upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better. Not that those things are bad, but this is better. And it will not be taken away from her. See, prayer, being with Jesus, here it is, undoes our distractions. Prayer keeps us from being Sarah Ruth's, the Martha's, and makes space for the servant of God to take up residence in our lives. I wonder, I wonder how much less upset we'd be all the time how much less worried, how much less morally superior we'd feel about those people if we just put down our phones for a bit. Come on. If we just didn't read the news tonight, 
if we just didn't turn on the TV, if we just sat down and didn't do all the things, if we could just sit for a few moments with Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Number one, prayer undoes our distractions because at the same time, number two, it also reshapes something, reshapes something incredible. And here it is, prayer, we're going to see, reshapes the self. Prayer reshapes the self. Why? Okay, here it is. Jesus said, all right, y'all, you want to learn how to pray? Want me to Didasco, y'all? Here it is. When you pray, pray like this. Our, he said, what? Father. Now, think about it. Jesus could have said, when you pray, he could have said, you should pray to king. Well, he could have said that because, of course, God is our king. Or he could have said, when you pray to the great shepherd. Well, he could have. God's our, come on, Psalm 23, our great shepherd. Jesus could have said, when you pray, pray to a creator. He could have because God is the creator. But he didn't say those things, nor did he say Pray to me, pray to Jesus, although you can. Pray to the Holy Spirit. He didn't say that. Nor did he say, pray to my mama. Or pray to the saints. Or pray to the cowboys. Or pray to the Texans. Or whatever else. Sorry, couldn't help it. It's all right there. It just sort of writes itself. No, he says, when you pray. Those are all football teams, by the way. Saints, cowboys, Texans. All right, so sorry. Like it's soccer day, Morgan. It's the, it's, you know. The soccer town now, all right. When you pray, sorry, football, right, all right. (laughs) Then he said, when you pray, pray our Father, why? Matthew 6, this is a parallel passage to Luke 11, just before Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer. Jesus shows us there are two fundamental ways a person comes to God, and each way shows up or is exposed in prayer. The first way, a human heart can come to God is over in Matthew 6, verse 7. He says, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling. This is an amazing word in the Greek. It's bodilegato. Do not keep on bodilegatoing like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. So he says, there's a kind of a person who approaches God in a certain way and thinks like this. I will be heard because of me. Because of my many words, because I, will, I, I said enough, I did enough, I prayed enough, I will be heard because I have earned the ear of God, because I deserve it and God owes me. So the first way to come to God, to pray to God, then is to come to him like a renter. It's because a renter is someone who pays the rent and they think they will get their demands met because of his or her many dollars, dollars that they deserve now what they want from a landlord, and maybe they should, and maybe they do, but that's not what prayer is. Because Jesus says immediately, do not be like them. Don't pray like a prayer renter, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven. So what's Jesus showing us? He's showing us that God is not a landlord, and you are not his renter. Hear me, both of those images cheapen and diminish who God is and who you and I are. No, he says God is our father. Listen, Muslims would never call God this, nor Hindus, nor Buddhists, nor Taoists, because God's either too remote, too distant, too non-existent, we can't really know, to ever be called father. And yet the one, Christians believe, who knows God best, 
Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus says the way a person comes to God isn't as a renter, but because God is our heavenly father, we come to him like a child wearing Christmas pajamas, holding that teddy bear, coming to him like a child, which shows us this. The only real reason a person deserves to be heard by God is not because they have paid something. Oh, it's because he has paid something. You say, what do you mean, Morgan? Come on. Every parent in here knows. <laughs> and if you're not a parent, but you are an auntie or an uncle or you babysat your nieces or nephews or the kids down the street, you know, you know that to have children or to take care of children costs you. <laughs> because especially at first, you provide everything and your child gives you nothing but a full diaper in return. Thank you very much. Being a parent is just expensive, laborious. It's painstaking and a lot of the time or more feels unrewarding. Being a parent means you endure the child's demands while you pay the cost. But God is telling us here, listen, you're not a renter. I'm not your landlord. When you pray, you relate to me altogether differently. You relate to me as father. Now, I know that word can be hard for a lot of people, and that's a bit different sermon and conversation, okay? But let me just say this. If you're angry that God hasn't met your demands today, it might because you've never truly just known him as a father. No one knows a father who has paid the price for you to be near him. Maybe you just relate to him today as a landlord that you kind of sort of try to control with good intentions and good behavior good choices or enough good thoughts. Listen to them. But a child hasn't earned anything with a parent. A child is simply hurt because he or she, hear me, has a status of that of a child as a parent. And they're heard not because they've worked, but simply because they're loved. Listen, listen. If one of you, like to give Jesus' example here, if one of you comes into my house or my bedroom at 3 a.m. and asks me for a cup of water, or a loaf of bread, it's gonna get weird. Like, real fast. Gonna get messy real quick, but what if one of, if one of my children comes into my bedroom at 3 a.m. and asks me for a cup of water, you know what I'm gonna say? I'm gonna say, go ask your mother. <laughs> Carrie, are you awake? No, I'm just, just kidding, hopefully. Because after all, dads, it's called parenting, right? Not babysitting. I'm gonna respond to them, why? Because they're also my child. They're not my renters, right? I mean, if someone is God's child, it's not because they've done enough. It's only because God has done enough. The reason we can deserve to be heard is not because we have paid our dues, but because Jesus has paid what is due. And on the way to the cross, Jesus himself lives all this out. When he prays, he prays, oh God, my father, not my will, but yours be done. See, prayer reshapes our very selves, our very selves, and allows us, like children, to humbly submit to a loving authority figure, so our Heavenly Father, who's greater than we are, and that is why we pray after all. Come on, Father, your kingdom, not my kingdom, not my family's kingdom, not my district's kingdom, not my state's kingdom, not my nation's kingdom, your kingdom come, May your will be done. We say in prayer, in other words, you first. You first. God, you first in my life. You first in my prayers. And like a child, we can trust that our heavenly father hears us. Lord, 
teach us to pray. Prayer undoes, number one, our distractions. Number two, it reshapes ourself. And finally, finally, it unleashes something incredible in our lives. It unleashes something. Uh, I, to to, to sort, of, sort of set this up, I, I heard recently about a brain study about friendship from the University of Virginia. Maybe you saw this study as well. But it's about friendship, University of Virginia. And they took a person and they monitored their brain activity while they hooked them up to a little machine that would give them an electromagnetic shock. And the person sat in a chair and a little red light would come on before the shock was administered to let the person know the shock was coming. And the researchers told the people that the shock would be mild, but apparently it wasn't. And the person in the experiment either sat alone or they held the hand of a stranger, or they held the hand of a friend while waiting for the shock to happen. And the study showed this. When the person waited alone or held the hand of a stranger, the danger, the fear regions of their brain lit up like crazy. But when they held the hand of a good friend, their brain stayed completely quiet, the peace, as if their brain knew everything would be okay as long as their friend was there holding them through the strain and the stress, and the trial. And listen, this is a picture of what prayer unleashes in us. Here, prayer unleashes not fear, but courage. Courage, because when you know your heavenly Father is with you, when you know his love for you and Jesus is holding you, it unleashes courage, yes, to pray for your daily bread, because sometimes that's all you can or ought to pray for, but that's not all you can pray for. That's not all Jesus even tells us to pray for, because look, he's giving us courage to pray for something else, because notice what he says in the immediately in the next verse, verse nine. He says, so I say to you, because you know you come to your heavenly Father like a child, because you know he hears you ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and the door will be open to you for everyone who asks receives the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks and keep on knocking and doesn't quit knocking and knocks every day and knocks every night and knocks all the time the door will be open and because Jesus Christ himself closes this section on prayer with a great big high double dog double sheep double goat dare you to pray something like this we're going to do the same thing in just a moment. Seek and keep on seeking God until he answers. He's showing us here. We ought to have the guts. We ought to have the courage to seek God, to knock, 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 knock on heaven's door until we get an answer. And the more I look at this this week, the more I love this this week, and the more I hope you love this this week because of this. Because as I read this and studied this, I saw that the people in the Bible who were the closest to God asked him for the most. Abraham asked God for proof. When God told him he would be the father of many nations and a blessing to the whole world, Moses asked God to see his glory. David asked God for a whole kingdom to be established. And he, yeah, even when some of this weird, crazy, strange cast of characters, Jesus assembled, like James and John, even when they asked him for weird stuff and sideways stuff, like to be rulers with him on his right and his left for all eternity, even when they asked him selfish stuff like that, even that asking, those kind of things still shows us something crucial, that those who truly see God for who he is, see the Son of God for who he is, not like Martha's, but like Mary's, they understand that somehow, not only is he all-powerful, but that he's all-loving and wants to give us good things. See, the people who knew God and were closest to God didn't ask him for the least. No, they stayed next to him and asked him for the most. When they got close to the Son of God, they found the courage. So can we. Lord, teach us. 
pray. So let's apply this real quick today as we begin to close. Number one, are you distracted today? Are you worried? Are you anxious? Coming apart because of your many things. You might just need to tell your inner Martha to have a seat for a second and allow your inner Mary to come forth. Dial her up. Phone a friend and have her help you sit at the feet of Jesus. Number two, when you pray, how do you pray? Like a renter who's owed or like a child who's loved? And number three, as you pray, do you pray with faith, faith faith-filled requests? Again, the people who got closest to God in the Bible asked him for the most. Why not us? So as we begin to close today, we're going to do something similar. We're going to apply this message, I hope, in a really practical way, and that is... I hope that you've heard by now that Mosaic Church next week, November 6th, is launching, it's a soft launch, but launching a new campus in South Austin, right there off Slaughter Lane between 35 and Mopac. It's an incredible story. If you don't know, you can go back and listen to our podcast from September 11th and hear the whole miracle of how we were connected with Texas Oaks Baptist Church. They voted to dissolve themselves and hand over their property, debt-free, and all their land, eight acres to Mosaic Church. And so we've been working, working, working. November 6th is the soft launch next week. And between September 11th and now, when we first brought this to your attention, a whole group of people there, formerly members of Texas Oaks Baptist Church, have gone through our membership process. Our staff and leaders have been taking them through. We're happy to tell you that they've gone through that and a number of them were of course here at first service and if any of them are here at second service would you stand right now stand right now we're going to honor you yeah we got a few folks right here come on right there had a bunch here first service keep standing keep standing keep standing and if there's any of you who you know like man I'm, I am actually I'm committed to at least starting off there at that south campus if that's you and you know you're going to be part of Mosaic Church Austin South would you stand right now where you are because we're going to cheer you and applaud you and pray for you yeah come on And so we're going to ask you to do one thing because we're going to pray a real big prayer here. The people next to them, would you totally invade their space? Sorry, we're going to do this. It's family day. Yay. And would you just lay, lay your hands on them right there? We're going to pray for this real quick and launch them out. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name for the gift of these people. We pray not that Mosaic's kingdom would come, but may your kingdom come in South Austin as it is in heaven. May a whole new kingdom community be birthed and flourish and impact, creating value in the community, seeing people come out of darkness into light, families healed, hope restored, life changed. We thank you for this and pray these things. We receive them and honor them today. Thank you for them. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.